All right, we are back to podcast. Second Corinthians chapter number six. Second Corinthians chapter six. Very good chapter. I hope everyone is enjoying Second uh, Corinthians. I know I am. It's uh, it's a, it's a great book of the Bible. It's a uh, as I've said several times, it's very different than First Corinthians, uh, but. But a wonderful book, nonetheless, and uh, it's a very—it's a much more encouraging book than First Corinthians. I want you to uh, go to chapter six. I appreciate the Lord, the good day that we've had, and uh, all of His blessings. Let's start in verse number one, Second Corinthians six, and verse number one. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Um, grace gives us salvation, okay, for all. But for those that refuse the grace of God, refuse this gift, it would be uh, given in vain. So, let's... Uh, Let's let's look at that. Let's think about that statement real quickly. We we go into uh, Calvary a lot. I'm a I'm a Jesus preacher, you know, Calvary preacher. You all have heard me preach Calvary many many times. You will hear me preach Calvary many many more times. I believe uh, we are to preach Jesus and Him crucified. I'm a Jesus preacher. And that being the case, for one, we we look at salvation in terms of the gift, where we are, what it's gotten us, how glad we're saved. But we should look at Calvary and salvation in the gospel sometimes in light of those that do not accept it, do not want it, that Christ died in vain for them. Now that's tragic. That's tragic. For you see, you know, I guess our society is so focused, self-focused, so self-consumed, so self-absorbed that it's all for us. It's all for us. Yeah, sure, it is. Jesus died for us. But think of the fact that when folks say no to the gospel, say no to Calvary, no to what he did, then he his death for them was in vain. Not because of him, but because of their refusal to accept and put their faith and trust and repentance towards the gospel. Now, that's a tragedy. <clears throat> if that's enough to get saved in and of itself, and you don't hear it preached and talked about like you used to because preachers have gotten away from preaching Calvary and preaching the cross and preaching Jesus. But when we present him in such a light and we are in love with him in such a way we we can find it much easier to look at that in in that regard uh, 
that he dies in vain for those that will not believe. That's profound, and that's what Paul's saying here. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation. Have I secured thee, run to or come to? That's what secure means. This is in this is a quote from Isaiah forty nine eight. It's a it's a it's a word secured uh, is a is a word that is used uh, many times in the Old Testament. Uh, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So uh, today is the day of salvation. God doesn't desire that we put it off. He desires that we are saved. And uh, accepting of his grace. Verse number three, give, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Okay, so uh, it's important. Here's, here's, this is a tough, this tough man, uh, situation right here. The Bible says that grace, peace, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I find it I find it almost fascinating sometimes when people will come to me or I, I've actually I've been mean, a pastor for many many years and in re, I guess really only in the past couple I mean think of it in the past couple have I had people say that they took offense to some message now had others taken offense to me I'm sure I'm sure with when you preach the Bible. The Bible says that the cross is an offense. And, um, yeah, but when people say that, it's just, it almost floors me when it's straight from the scriptures. Straight from the scriptures. Now, that being the case, notice verse 3 here, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Paul is saying here that he is not added to the offense. In other words, the gospel, the cross, is an offense in and of itself. There's no need for him to be offensive. You know, and I've heard preachers use use some language probably that would be offensive and uh, use things derogatorily that would uh, be offensive. And we, we must remember that the gospel is an offense in and of itself. The cross is an offense in and of itself, and there's nothing that we should do. We shouldn't add to that in any way, shape, or form. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses. He says, you, you can look to my life and know that I have proven myself as a minister of Jesus Christ. And by that, these afflictions and, and patience and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. So these things listed here are examples of the proof that Paul is a minister and a rightful minister of the gospel. Let's look at those. Um, patience, the patience that he's demonstrated. 
the afflictions that he's endured for the sake of the gospel, the necessities, the things that were needs in his life that have not been met, that probably would have been met otherwise had he not been a minister of the gospel. I think of that often. Um, you know, I I never, I don't regret ever God calling me to preach. It's been the joy and the blessing of my life. But there are things that I have went through and suffered and faced that I never would have had I not been a preacher, been a pastor. And I, I would be be remiss if I if I didn't admit that and say that. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, things that I have went through as a result of being a minister are proof that I am a minister. The things that I have faced, the things that I have endured, the things that I have went through as a result of who I am and what I am are pure or are proof that I am what God wanted me to be in stripes and imprisonments and tumults. That's tumultuous. Of course, that would be uh, problems. And, and we've heard tumultuous in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by the pureness that I live, by knowledge, by the knowledge that I hold, by long-suffering. That's the patience that I show. By kindness, by the kindness that I demonstrate, by the Holy Ghost, that's the most important. The Holy Ghost validates us by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God. Boy, you can't, you can't hide those things. If you've got God's power, uh, it can't be hid, it can't be put under a bushel. You want to know if I'm God's minister? Do you have the power of God? I will say this about preaching, about teaching, pastoring. I do not believe a man will be called and not be anointed. That Bible says that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When you are called to preach, God will anoint you. Now, can you do things to grieve that and, and to not not uh, empower that? Can you do things to prevent it from being all that it could be? Absolutely. But God will anoint you by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Do you see what he's saying there? Paul has just outlined every single area of life and possibilities in life. And he said these areas, if, if one would look fastidiously, if one would look closely, 
it would it would show and be a prime example of a true godly minister, a true God called, God empowered minister. Why is he doing this? Why is Paul listing these things? He's having to list these things because his ministry, his calling has been called into question. And so again, Paul is validating his his call. Uh, Paul is uh, not only validating his call, Paul is, um, he is, uh, we, we've used the, the, um, we have used the word apologetics, and what he's doing there is validating his ministry, who and what he is. Then it trans transitions from himself now to the people. And we only got a few verses left, but we can get through them quickly. Now he says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you and our heart is enlarged. Boy, what a, what a statement there. Our mouth is open. So he's addressing the people of Corinth here. And he says, I'm, I'm opening my mouth to teach you, to talk to you, to demonstrate to you, to show you. My mouth is open unto you. But th this, is, this is the part here. My heart is enlarged. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is a verse that, that has, has struck me. Has, it's a verse that I have prayed often, not in a long time. But I'm going to put it back into practice in my prayer life. I remember Blaine Parsons, and uh, some some folks listening to this will know Brother Blaine well, and others won't. Others maybe have heard me speak about him. He was a, he's probably my favorite person, my favorite Christian that I've ever met. Brother Blaine was not a a preacher, he was not a pastor. He didn't even teach Sunday school by the time I was his pastor, but he was the godliest, most loving man that I've ever met in my life. Blaine Parsons was a, a true godly hero. He was a member. He was a member of our church. And he would say that. He would testify that, that God would enlarge his heart towards people. God would enlarge his heart towards others. And what what a testimony. What a testimony. And I'm praying that. That's my prayer. I'm praying that God would enlarge my heart towards others. I'm praying that God would enlarge your heart towards others. He says, my mouth is open unto you, but my heart is enlarged. That means my heart grows bigger and bigger and bigger towards you. Oh God, would you enlarge our hearts? God, would you make our hearts bigger to one another? God, would you make our hearts softer to one another? God, would you make our hearts bigger towards you and softer towards you, more pliable towards you? God, would you enlarge our hearts? The Bible says here, you're not straightened in us, but you're straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, 
All right. Now for recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, but ye also enlarged. Now verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Now, what would this mean? What would this mean, the unequal yoke? And to what parameter? It would mean a partnership of sorts, whether it's a relationship, be it dating, be it marriage, um, be it business, be it, you know, uh, things like that. Partnerships, where one person is committed to the other for the betterment of both. All right? That that would define partnership. This does not mean necessarily friendship. You can have lost friends. You can have lost family members. Jesus was known as the friend to sinners. What this means, an unequal yoke. The yoke was a business was a was a business instrument. It was an instrument that was made in in order that the the plowman, the farmer, the field worker be able to produce their crops, be able to plow their fields. They would do that by taking oxen and 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 so forth, different livestock and putting them in a yoke. Alright? You would have one on one end, one on the other end, and then you would run a plow in between. That would be the yoke of oxen. We we know it almost would look like stocks. You've seen people, you know, in the, the, the medieval times or the turn of the century be put in stocks to be to be imprisoned or to be to be executed. Well, a yoke would look similar to that. There would be a what place to put your hands or or to put the hands or the head or what have you. And the thing about the yoke, for it to work correctly, the the cattle or the livestock or you know whatever the animal was, they would have to be moving in the same direction. They would have to be going basically by the same cadence. They would have to be in step with one another. If not, the the yoke would rub the other one. They would rub the boat. Actually, they would rub both the wrong way, if you please. And when that would happen, there would be no production. All right? Just be a mess there in the middle of the field. So they had to be in step with one another. Now, the analogy is this. If you're in a relationship... A, a, a partnership, a marriage, what have you, then you, if you enter into that with someone that is unsaved, then you, it will be impossible for you to walk in step with them. How can two walk together in from Amos except they be agreed? And so, at some point, you may walk hand in hand for a while, step in step for a while, but at some point, it will cause friction. The one will want to go the other way, you or them. 
perhaps both, most likely both. For instance, you know, you, you want to serve God, love God. The relationship partner does not. The marriage partner does not. And it causes friction. It causes no progression. It causes hurt. It causes pain. Same with the business partner. Okay? You, you want to handle things honestly, treat people fairly. Um, then you've got a business partner that that doesn't, that wants to cheat folks, that wants to do things halfway, um, not do correctly and right, then that will end up rubbing both the wrong way. All right? That's why you're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Problems for all. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? No fellowship. That's why the ecumenical movement's so dangerous. When, you know, Bible believers rub, rub shoulders with Catholics and that, that do not believe the Bible. Uh, when when Bible believers rub shoulders with Bible deniers and God deniers, those, those things are dangerous. They're very dangerous. And God is teaching against them. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Okay. So God resides in us. God lives in us. When we become one of his, when we're saved, the residence of God, take, God takes up residence in our temple, in us. And he's going to be our God, and we're going to be his people. So based on what we've just read, we've got verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Okay? The context of these verses here, verse 17 especially, is this separation from all that is unclean and unholy and that is evil in people. Um, and But that there's two sides to separation. It is separation from bad, but it's separation to God. So it's twofold. It does you no good to just be separated from bad if you're not going to be separated to God. And I've seen the dangers of that. I've seen the fallout of that. I've seen the results of that. Separation is no good if, if you're not drawing closer to God as a result of that. So, so keep that in mind, okay? So, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So, separated from evil, and then in turn, separated to God. And I like verse 18. It will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So the, the separation aspect of this is that we might be closer to him. We might 
separate ourselves from, from that in the world, that which is evil, that which is dark, that which is opposed to God, so that we can draw nigh to Him and be closer to Him. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is what the enlargement of the heart is all about. That's my prayer today. That's my, that's my message. That's my lesson, is that our hearts be enlarged towards Jesus, our hearts be enlarged towards one another, our hearts be enlarged towards the love of God, to be enlarged, to be tenderized, that we might walk with Him. The enlargement of our hearts. I hope you've enjoyed 2 Corinthians 6. We will be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 on Wednesday evening. We'll be back in podcast Wednesday evening. We actually may get two chapters done, but I hope you've enjoyed this, the enlargements, the enlargement of our hearts. Good evening. God bless each one of you, and I love you.